Is the Bible truly the Word of God? And if so, how do we know for sure? How did we get the Bible? How do we know it was properly preserved since it was originally written? How should it be interpreted? And what version of the Bible is the best? Stay tuned for a discussion of these questions with Eric Borger, an eloquent defender of the Christian faith. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Once again this week, we have as our special guest, Eric Barger, founder and director of an apologetics ministry called Take a Stand. Welcome back, Eric. Thank you, David. And once again this week, we also have my colleague, Nathan Jones, here to assist me with interviewing Eric. And we're glad to have you back also, Nathan. Pleasure to be here. Okay. Well, Eric, I want to jump right into this. Back in the dark ages when I was a kid, back in the 19, late 1930s and 1940s, I grew up in a nation that, uh, where the majority of people were professing Christians. Uh, we read the Bible in school. We used it, in fact, in English classes. Uh, we prayed in school. Uh, most people went to church. But cha- things have drastically changed since then. We now live in a secular nation that seems to have little familiarity with the Word of God. And so I want to start off by asking you some fundamental questions about the Bible. Like, where did it come from? Was it written by one person or many people? Uh, Was it written in one language? Uh, Was it uh, written in King James English? (laughs) Was it, uh, do the original manuscripts still exist? And, um, well, just tell us, where did our Bible come from? Well, I think it's a common misconception, and it's one that the secularists would use in, in trying to defy us or to argue with us that the Bible just isn't one book. It is 66 different books neatly put together in one binding that Mm. we conveniently have in one book today. But it's 40 different authors over about a 1,500-year period in time in its production. And we see the supernatural stamp or handprint of God on it as it harmonizes so perfectly together. So when I quote Isaiah to prove Jesus, or I quote Jesus to talk about Moses, yeah. I'm not quoting the same Yeah, the source. secularists would immediately say, you're using circular, circular reasoning. reasoning. Yes. Exactly, but it's not circular reasoning, and the Bible is unique. It's the only book in the world of its sort. In fact, as I said, it is 66 unique different books. And written in what, three different languages? Yes, Aramaic. And, and over several thousand years? That's right, Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew over at least a 1500 years. And yet it all fits together. Yeah. One theme, right? Yeah. How, how can that be? I mean, it just... Well, it shows the handprint of God. As He, as mm-hmm. he came upon me, to write these thoughts down, to, to give them, to give us His thoughts, His desire for us to understand. And the Bible deals with all different kinds of things. It's got the words of angels, mm-hmm. the words of demons, the words of Jesus. the, words, the of, words of Satan. Exactly, the words of Lucifer, God's Word. And it gives us the account of the Jews in the Old Testament. It gives us the basis for the church in the New Testament. Without the old, the new falls apart. Without the new, the old falls apart. You know, Jesus quotes the Old Testament, 24 different books in the Old Testament Jesus quotes. Mm -hmm. He gives great validation. So when the egghead theologians out there (laughs) that try to tear apart the Bible to say that it's got errors all through it, or that it's just not that reliable, or that, you know, it's a nice idea, but it's really not the Word of God. When they say that, if Jesus was the perfect God-man, if He was God incarnate, 
and he came here and he quoted something, you'd have thought he would have brought correction to it instead of corroboration, well, which now, is what he gave us. Well, and, and, and who put it together? I mean, you're talking about 66 books that came together. Right. They had to come together some way. Well, the, the, the church... The early church just didn't decide to go to Starbucks one day and get a coffee and, <laughs> and uh, or whatever you know. They just didn't go in one day and go. Well, I think we got it now. They took over. Well, actually, the Old Testament had already been put together it, by the Jews. It, it had it? been, mm-hmm. but you know, for the first over the first century of Christianity, there wasn't a standardized set of teachings mm-hmm. that the church taught from. Uh, Pastor A over here right. may have only had a couple of Paul's letters mm-hmm. that he trusted, and Pastor B had maybe the Book of Acts, the mm-hmm. Book of Matthew, and Pastor C something else. But but they didn't have a standardized set of teachings. And really, in about 140 A.D., it was a cult leader named Marcion that really compelled the church. Because there were so many thousands of people that were confused and were following this cultic idea. Marcion believed the God of the Old Testament was different than the God mm-hmm. of the New. And so they needed a standardized set of teachings that would refute not only Marcion, but many of the cultic or Gnostic and cultic ideas that were out in those days. And so that's what really catapulted them into putting together the first canon. Well, what was their criterion for selection? Well, that's interesting. The very first and foremost and most important criteria that the church used in ascertaining which letters were canonical. Now, understand, there were 12 Gospels and over 50 different letters or epistles Mm -hmm. out there. Very few of them made it in the New Testament, as we know. Only four Gospels and a handful of the Mm -hmm. letters. The number one criteria that the church used in those days was did the teaching in these letters match the oral teaching of the apostles? Okay. Did it match what the apostles taught their disciples and their disciples taught their disciples? In those early days, they heard and they, they learned what the church believed orally. They heard it. Mm-hmm. And if, if a letter didn't match such as the Gospel well, sure of Thomas and others. Yeah, I'm sure you're aware of the fact that you know, one of the major attacks on the Bible today is the attack that, well, this was all political and uh, the people who just happened to have the political power selected the, the books, but there were other books that should have been selected like the Gospel of Thomas that certainly were canonical and should have been added in. It's just who was on the winning political side. Sure. Well, the, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Jude, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, so many <laughs> of these others, they, they don't match the teaching of the Apostles. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do. In fact, when you read those, you sense immediately they don't match. Oh, oh yeah. Mary, Mary yes. tells you you have to tithe to get to heaven. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> these other Gospels and other epistles didn't make it into the Bible because they held things that were not true historically, but in particular they weren't true uh, in harmonization with the oral teaching of the apostles. But wasn't the Gospel of Thomas actually written 200 and some years yeah. after Thomas, Christ? Thomas did not write so, the Gospel of yeah. Thomas, but this was a, a common thing. <laughs> Even our book thing of Enoch that, showed up in the 1700s. Yes. Even, right? People would attach yeah. the name of somebody from, from oh, sure. Christian history to gain notoriety, and that, right. was, that was another one of the criteria. That's why the book of Hebrews was one of the last books added to the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Because no one was quite sure who who wrote it. I, I personally believe Paul wrote it, mm-hmm. but I won't break fellowship with somebody who disagrees with me on <laughs> yeah. that. But we don't know who wrote it. The thing is, it matches theologically the things the apostles taught orally right. and also the other Gospels. Now, we don't have the original manuscripts. No. So how do we know that the Bible that we have today is true to those manuscripts? Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls helped us there. <laughs> sure did. Sure did, because the Dead Sea Scrolls mentions every book in the Old Testament except the book of Esther. 
I mean, we, we know. And prior to the discovery of those, the oldest manuscripts we had of the Old Testament were a thousand years. So it's catapulted us back a thousand years, and we didn't find any major differences. Exactly. And that's the stunning thing, is that when they were examined, it was obvious that we had the Word of God, and that God has done the supernatural protection of His own Word. That's the important part. God has supernaturally protected His Word. Yeah. Well, some people seem to treat the Bible like God can't write a book. He can make the universe, but He can't keep a book about His together. <laughs> That's right. And it shows a lack of trust. I mean, wouldn't you say that most of the, the major criticism from the Bible come from people who just are too scared to trust that the Bible is God's Word? Well, it also lifts up the idea that man knows better than God. Yes. Uh, you know, I've said so often that, that no teaching on the, in the earth, scientific, historical, <clears throat> nothing, is ever at the mercy of the of. Of, uh, or the scriptures are never at the mercy of anything in the world. That's the best mm-hmm. way to put it. And a lot of people out here, they, they want to test the Bible by all that man knows. Mm-hmm. I think we ought to test everything that man <laughs> brings up by the Bible. Exactly. And, and you know, David, it is the most important thing that I'll ever learn. It is the thing I need to know more than anything else. It's the thing my children and grandchildren and everyone listening, all of us here, we need to know it more than anything else. All of my secular education, the second I breathe my last breath, it's finished. Mm-hmm. But the Bible, the Word of God, will last for eternity. And what it says is the most important thing I will ever know. How do we know that the Bible really is the Word of God? Well, God has shown Himself to us in it. There's no doubt about that. It gives us the account of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus validates so many of the Old Testament uh, passages, as I mentioned. You know, the New Testament quotes 34 Old Testament books, and Jesus Himself quotes 24 of the Old Testament books. And I think maybe the best proof, and we may be able to get into this in a little more depth during the program, but in my, in my DVD on this topic, I think the best proof is fulfilled prophecy. <laughs> oh boy, you're speaking my language now. <laughs> fulfilled prophecy shows us that the Word of God has stood the test of time. There's no other book in the world that contains fulfilled prophecy. No. How many? Uh, you know, it's just, I mean, this is, how do you get around that? The fact, and that is the reason that liberals, for example, hate Bible prophecy so much. They hate it with a passion. They hate the book of Daniel uh, because it, it's so specifically fulfilled in history. Yeah. And the book of Daniel is one of the most attacked books oh, yes. by the liberals as well. They'll, They'll attack, move the date up so that yeah, all the prophecies, exactly. oh, they were past tense. It, it makes it look like Daniel was yeah. writing from his uh, precognizant knowledge or that someone wrote in Daniel's name. Well, I mean, Daniel wrote history in advance better than most people have written it afterwards. True, <laughs> but the uh, you know the liberals want to tell you that uh, that Daniel was written in the Maccabean period. No. This would be 350 years after he died. Yes, you know, but they want to say that it was written by somebody else and that they already knew the events. But we we could quickly see in Daniel chapter nine if you harmonize, and we don't have the time or the the ability on the yeah. show to get this. I do in the DVD uh, in Daniel nine. If you harmonize that with Ezra chapter seven, you see. That God's word has fulfilled. I mean, God, God fulfilled this to almost to the day we see that when Jesus Christ arrived on the scene, Daniel predicted it ahead of time. Four hundred. I was actually in a church years. one exactly. time where four hundred eighty-three years. I was in a church where I said, "Turn over the book of Daniel," and the pastor stood up right on the front row and said, "We don't allow the book of Daniel to be read in this church." He said, "You obviously are not a seminary graduate, or you would know that that book is is fallacious. It's, it just pretends to be prophecy." Right in front of the whole congregation, and I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, everybody knows. All educated people know it was written in the time of Christ." I said, "How do you explain the fact that it was in the Septuagint?" 228 years or something before Christ, it was included in the Septuagint translation. He said, I don't want to discuss that. 
Mm. Do you know what? You know what I think the most telling thing about someone who's or something that purports that is that Jesus quotes Daniel. Jesus validates Daniel's authorship. And if if there was something wrong with anything in the Old Testament, instead of, as I said a minute ago, instead of quoting it, he would have corrected it and he didn't. Welcome back to our discussion with Eric Barger about whether or not the Bible is truly the Word of God. Nathan, why don't you ask the first question here? Sure thing. Eric, the King James Version has reached 400 years. We're celebrating that. What's your thought about the King James Version? I think I'm out of time, Nathan. And, uh, <laughs> okay. We really like to put people on the spot yeah. on this program. <laughs> All right. Email ericbarger.com. <laughs> I preach okay. from the King James Version. Okay. And I use it in my writings. Uh, I read other versions. And um, I say this. No matter what version you're reading, if there's something there that you don't understand, there's something that doesn't make sense to you, everybody can use a Strong's Concordance. Mm-hmm. And you can get one on your phone, let alone your computer or the books. And everybody should have access to one. It's not rocket science. Everybody can do it. Mm-hmm. And we all ought to be able to look at the original words that the English uh, Bibles were taken from. Uh, you can't literally translate from every Greek word into English. Sometimes it takes a sentence to make one Greek word make sense, mm-hmm. and vice versa with the two languages. Definitely. So um, rather than argue about which version Paul preached from, I've heard that before. What <laughs> yeah. King James, Jesus had to preach from. You know, I, I mean, yeah. I use the King James. I love the King James, love the, the poetry of it and so on. But if I ever run into a, a problem or something I don't quite understand, and I think it's healthy to always be looking at those words, you're going to learn more that way, you're going to dig into it. I, I go back to the Greek and Hebrew and look at that because that is the original language that, uh, that it was written in. And if you really want to argue about what the best Bible is, it's the Greek and Hebrew. Did you recommend then the modern translation? Because there's a lot of camps who say the King James is the only version we can use. And then there's others who say, well, you know, it's okay to use the NIV or the NAS. And then, of course, you've got all the people who don't even speak English. What about them? Sure. And they, there's no Japanese King James Version, <laughs> yeah. for example. There's no uh, uh, King James Version in a lot of these other, other languages mm-hmm. in, the, in the world. But um, I, I don't necessarily recommend or not recommend any of those. I'm okay. not trying to be a fence-sitter. I personally will use the King James, but I'll read the others and have them, and I'm glad they're there that I can find out, uh, you know, in in more modern English what some of these things mean or what some of the sentences say and and so on. But I always take it back to the Greek and Hebrew, and I think that's the key here. Mm -hmm. Well, I personally uh, have a great uh, admiration for the King James Version and uh, for uh, its impact upon Western society, for the uh, beauty of its language. Uh, Many, many of the terms that we use in English today come from there. Uh, It's as beautiful as anything Shakespeare ever wrote. Uh, And um, uh, so I, I really have a lot of respect for it. I think what most people don't realize is it's only 400 years old, and that prior to that, for over a thousand years, the only Bible that the Western world really had was the Latin Vulgate uh, right. that Jerome put together, uh, which served the Western world a lot longer uh, than the King James has. And when I run into people who are, call themselves King James Version only, and that's the only one you can use, and if otherwise you're apostate or whatever, I wonder, well, what do they think what's going on for 1,200 years when people didn't have this. And, and, the, and yet they came to know the Lord and they gave their lives to the Lord. When I was growing up as a kid, the only version we had was King James. 
And um, I found it very difficult to read. I just, to me it was like reading Shakespeare and I really had difficulty with it. And therefore I didn't read the Bible much. And when I was a freshman in college, my mother and dad sent me a Christmas present. I opened it up and it was the J.B. Phillips uh, paraphrase of the New Testament. I'd never heard of a paraphrase, didn't know what a paraphrase was, but I opened it and started reading it. And Eric, I literally could not put it down. I read it day, I read it night, I read it through, I read it again, I read it again, and it got me interested in reading the Bible. Then I went to a more literal translation and began to use those. I use the New American Standard in my preaching today uh, because I think there are some really good modern uh, translations including the New King James and all. And, and what people also don't realize about the King James often is that it has been revised many times over the years. I mean we, the King James Version we have today is not the King James Version produced in 1611. That's exactly right. Because it's been revised many times to correct errors, to correct uh, 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 punctuations. Punctua- yeah. And also we discover a lot of new Greek tr- uh, manuscripts, thousands of them that not, not even have to do with the Bible, but by reading those Greek manuscripts we come to a better understanding of Greek words yeah. That, yeah. that have an impact upon how we translate. You, you know there are people who will go to the wall on this and they break fellowship and they don't want to talk <laughs> to you. And I, I, you know, I understand that. And I don't want to shake the confidence that anybody might have in me. But when I got saved, I was reading the Living Bible. Yeah, yeah. it's a paraphrase. Oh yeah. But yeah. I, I went kind of a night and day thing. I went from reading the Living Bible to the King James. Wow. Well, uh, you know, which, yeah. With no no time in between. That was well, I tell new other. believers all the time that they tell me I have great difficulty understanding the Old Testament. I'll tell them, well, get a paraphrase and start reading it, and then it'll help you better to understand. And then, but always remember, you need to get back to a really good. Uh, translation that's more literal in and, nature. And the use yeah. of study helps. So oh, I, yes, you don't absolutely. have to be a seminarian to use good study helps, Bible dictionary and strong conclusions. Well what are some fundamental keys to understanding the Bible? Well I, I think that's that's really it. You look for the you look for the harmonization of scripture of what we've already talked about. The idea that that uh, God is validating as He goes along the the truth of His Word. We see this played out so many times through Bible prophecy. You know, there's uh, I read once there's 324 prophecies mm-hmm. about the Messiah in the Bible, and we see so many of those have already come to pass. And to me, the validation of God's Word. Reading it and understanding it as literally as possible is really the key. Well, you know, I think a lot that's of people very important. Are super spiritualized today. Yeah, uh, I, I would emphasize that over and over. Uh, I uh, people get all upset and their nose has been out of shape over the word literal, and they say, "Well, don't you realize there's poetry? Don't you realize there's allegory?" And, and so I, I, I sometimes say, "Well, uh, just." the plain sense meaning. Look for the plain sense meaning. Even when there's an allegory or there's a symbol, look for the plain sense meaning. Right. But don't play with it. And of course spiritualizers are those who take it and say, well it never means what it says. And this is the greatest abuse of the Scriptures is because uh, then you're God. You can make it say anything you want to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I read a quote by a fellow who had been taken up on apostasy charges, heresy charges by his denomination. This is his fourth time they've done it. <laughs> He was a bishop in this denomination, and he finally said, I don't believe the Bible means anything literally that you think it means. I mean, that was, I'm going. God knows how to communicate. God wants to communicate. And you do not have to have a degree in hermeneutics or a degree in imagination to understand God's Word. What you do have to have is a childlike faith, a belief that God really wants to communicate, and you have to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to really understand it in depth. And God will use things like the Living Bible, for example. He'll use things to communicate to us. And as we, you know, all of us are still trying to make our way along in this this lifelong journey 
journey of Christianity. Yes. And so we're all still learning and all still trying to, to refine who we are and what, uh, what yeah. we believe and yeah. so on. And uh, that's, that's part of the great thing about the Bible is that again and again, reading the same passages, the Bible speaks diff- in different ways to us at different points in okay, our life. Okay, assume I'm a, a new convert, grew up in a non-Christian family, just been handed my first Bible. Where do I start? Book of John. Book of John. Right away. First, you thing. took the words right out of my mouth. Book of John. Because why it, would you recommend starting there rather than starting with Genesis? I, I believe that the the way the Book of John teaches us about the life of Jesus, which really is the thing we need mm-hmm. today. We don't start back at Genesis, though. It's great to to start there, Genesis one one, finding out about God creating the mm-hmm. world, the fall of mankind, the trials of Israel. But we want to learn about the Messiah, the one who has saved us. If we become a Christian, the first thing we want to do is find out about Jesus. And the Book of John, I believe, clearly teaches the life of Jesus in a way that virtually everybody can understand. In the second book I would take people to, and, and I know there's disagreement about this one, I, I don't know about you all, but I'd take them to the book of Romans next. Ooh, because that's Paul's, that's heavy theology. That's Paul's yes. great theological book <laughs> so they can begin to learn what they believe. And it's going to take so them So you want them to jump in the deep water here. Well, I think, I think from the book of John to the book of Romans because Romans is Paul's theological Well, book. it's true. But you need to tell them that even Peter said that there were some things Paul wrote that were difficult to understand. Oh, I know. I know. How yeah, about you, children? Nathan? What, where would you tell people to go? Well, uh, definitely John. John is the place you go, everybody. And I I wouldn't start him in Genesis because uh, my son, for instance, he's uh, elementary age and he's starting to get into numbers. He's been working his way. He kind of stole my archaeology study Bible and he's gotten <laughs> and he's getting bogged down in numbers and that's when people start giving up. That's and right. All. But with John, if you got the gospel and then they, as they start reading the Old Testament, they tie it. For children especially, because I, I do a lot with uh, children, having children at a young age, there's a newest thing out now. It's called the Action Bible. It is an entire comic book, graphic novel Bible. It's only $25. And it takes the pictures and the stories and the theology and brings it to life with characters they can see and heroes they can see. My kids are eating it up. They absolutely love it. And so I would definitely, especially for kids, start with something that visually pulls the Bible to them. But read, I mean, children can read, I'm finding the Bible just as well as adults, as long as it's a version that's in modern English. You know, when they're ready for the King James, I'll give them a King James. <laughs> sure. Right now, NIV, I think, is easier sure. for them well, to I think we need to teach them the respect yeah. for the, the longevity of the King James and stuff we all yes, enjoy exactly. and appreciate. And, and I'm grateful mm-hmm. for it. But again, like I said twice now, I read them all. Yeah. And I go looking, exactly. if, if there's a verse that I really want to get more depth out of, I'll read in three or four different versions you know, and then go point. to the Greek and look at it. Every time a new version comes out, I go to it and take a look at it because I, I usually will discover something I haven't discovered before. Just by a, a little bit different wording, I'll get a point that I hadn't, I hadn't gotten before. Right. So I, I take a look at all of them. In fact, I'm hungry for them when they come out. Me too. Me too. <laughs> well, above all, I think in this discussion, is not to uh, bring division between us about which version right. to read, exactly. but to inspire a hunger for the Word of God. Because if there's any single thing the church needs today is to reignite our hunger for God's Word. Welcome back to our discussion with Eric Barger about the validity of God's Word. Eric, you mentioned a little earlier that your ministry has a video about the Bible. Could you tell us about that and how we can get it and sure. let the folks know? We, uh, we put together Hath God Said, and uh, this is a DVD that talks about how the Bible was arrived at, how the different books in the Bible, the early church, how they chose, what criteria they used. We talked about this a little bit in the program. We also talk about how Bible prophecy is the single best tool to be able to prove the validity of the Scripture. 
and I, I answer some of the skeptics and what the skeptics say and the people that think the Bible's been added to incrementally. And uh, I believe we get some great information, some, some real bedrock information for folks on the Word of God. After all, if, if we're trusting what it says in its pages, then we certainly ought to know that, um, that we can trust it for eternity. And that's, that's what we put this together for. So it's a great tool and one that I'm really glad we did. Hath God Said. They can find it on our website at ericbarger.com. And if you don't have a, a computer but you want to order it, you can always call us at 214-289-5244. That's our office number at Take a Stand Ministries, ericbarger.com or 214-289-5244, and we'd be glad to help you with that. Eric, what else can they find on that website besides these, these wonderful DVDs you've produced? Dr. Dave, we've got over a 1,000 pages of information, uh, all of our newsletters from the past seven or eight years, many video clips, uh, complete audio messages that I've done. And uh, you can also sign up for our email newsletter and our print newsletter. They're different, and we'd be glad to send the. Send well, I tell you, it's charge. a fascinating new, uh, website because I got on there one night and I couldn't get off. I mean, <laughs> there's so many things. You've got the articles about Halloween, articles about the New Age, the occult, uh, witchcraft. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. Well, we try to make it real simple too. We put them in segments so that people can find everything dealing with Mormonism in one place, and everything dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses mm-hmm. in another place, and so on and so on. So we try to make it simple, and uh, a lot of people use it, and we're just grateful. Well, thanks, Eric. Uh, Folks, uh, people have always thought that Revelation is a very difficult book in the Bible to understand, and for that reason, most seem to avoid it. And that is a tragedy, because it tells how the cosmic battle between God and Satan is going to turn out. It tells us that we, the believers in Jesus, are going to win in the end, and that's exciting news. I have put together a book about the book of Revelation. It's called Wrath and glory. I title it that because Jesus is going to return in wrath to pour out the wrath of God against those who have rejected the grace, mercy, and love of God. But He is then going to reign in glory and majesty from Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and the whole world is going to just be flooded with His glory. Uh, this book is divided into uh, several sections. Uh, for example, it starts off with just understanding the book of Revelation. Is it possible to do so? And I was always told it wasn't, but I'll never forget Henry Morris, uh, one of the great uh, uh, leaders of the Christian uh, uh, faith in, in the 20th century, who said, the book of Revelation is not really hard to understand. It's just difficult to believe. If you'll believe it, you'll understand it. And then the second chapter is about interpreting Revelation. How, what are the keys to it? to understanding that book. The third chapter is systematizing Revelation in which um, we take uh, a look at how it relates to other end time Bible prophecies. In fact, in chapter 2 in interpreting Revelation we go through the book chapter by chapter, the entire book. Uh, I've got probing Revelation where we look at questions that are most frequently asked. And there are questions like, is Revelation prophecy or is it history? Was it written before or after the fall of Jerusalem? Uh, are the prophecies something to be fulfilled in the future or were they fulfilled at the time that it was written? Uh, things like, has the disobedience of the Jews invalidated God's promises to them? Is the return of the Lord going to really be in stages? And on and on these questions go. When is the rapture going to occur? Is a mid-tribulation rapture possible? And so forth. You know, who is the Antichrist. And I don't have the answer to that, but I can give you some ideas about how to watch uh, for that. I hope you won't be around when he comes. But it goes on and on with question after question. So if you want something that's just simple and down to earth and easy to understand, I would highly recommend that you take a look at this book, Wrath and Glory, which is available for a gift of $15 or more. And you can get it by calling the number there on the screen, or you can get it by going to our website 
and uh, to the store that we have there, and you can uh, find it uh, on the website. Well, fellows, I want to thank you once again for being with us. You have just really blessed me so much. Uh, Eric, thanks a million. My pleasure. In fact, Eric, I just can't pass up the opportunity to invite you to come back one more time because I know how great your personal witness is. And to me, the, the greatest evidence that the Bible is the Word of God is to be found in the way it transforms people's lives. And your life was radically transformed from that of a rock musician who was crazed out on drugs to a person who is leading a major ministry today. So would you come back next week and give us your personal testimony? Uh, that would be my pleasure. I'd love wow. to. That's great. Well, folks, I hope our uh, program has been a blessing to you this week. And I hope you'll be back with us next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 